Good afternoon, my friends. The doctor is in the house. Welcome back to another episode of To Your Health with Dr. G. My name is Dr. Mark Gomez, board-certified internal medicine physician, practicing out of Naperville in Bolingbrook, Illinois. Happy Wednesday, everybody. And today, guess what? Not only are we going to be talking about an amazing topic, but today I have to give a quick shout-out to me and my wife. Today is our 30th episode. So here we go, milestone episode. I'm giving myself a little clap on that one. But no, no, this has just been an, an, an amazing journey talking about health, talking about just inspiration, talking about how we can continue to live healthy and fulfilling and productive lives. And that's really what this show is about, To Your Health with Dr. G. We really want to gather people and have a discussion, but then implement those ideas. We want to give people strategies that they can go back and talk with their physician about or any other member of their healthcare team. Strategies that help you continue to live the best and to the fullest that you ought to be living. So again, on this Wednesday, this is great. So I'm excited about what we're going to be talking about today, and I'll introduce my guest in a second. But today, we're going to be talking about the power of plant-based nutrition. And my guests today, Dr. Steve Loam and Mr. Brad Barbara, are here today. We're going to introduce them in a second. But really, when I think about this topic, it's, it's something that's really started to change my life as I've, tried, as I've read up and I'm trying to make some active changes. And again, for people out there, you know, we can be set in our ways with our health, but you know, the human nature is that we're adaptable. And we have to be adaptable when we talk about ways to improve your health and ultimately your outcomes. At the end of the day, when I talk to my patients in my practice, I always say, I want to give you the resources to have longevity, vitality, and quality of life. And if we can do that as, as a physician, if I can do that, I think my job is done. So today, the show is entitled The Power of Plant-Based Nutrition. And really, what I want to do is we're going to talk about it today. My experts are in the trenches. They're on, they're on their game. But they're people that are passionate about this movement, creating awareness and creating opportunity, also creating equity, because we're going to be talking about that as well, too, during the show. But before I do any show, uh, let me hit you with a quick disclaimer. The content of To Your Health with Dr. G is for informational and entertainment purposes only, and that the content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, and or treatment. Further details can be found at www.toyourhealthwithdrg.com slash disclaimer. Again, happy Wednesday, everybody. We're here live at Intellectual Radio Studios. You're checking us out on Facebook Live. My website, www.drmarkgomez.com. Hey, we're going to have a great show today. So let me hit you guys with a quick opening stats. Plant-based diets provide the body full of nutrients without the cravings for meat or processed foods. And as such, the consumption of whole plant-based foods is one of the best strategies for health maintenance and disease prevention. And when we talk about it in, a, in my practice, and Dr. Lum will, will, will talk about it too from his clinical practice in a few moments, and Brad will also talk about some things that he sees. Really, it's part of a, a part of a, a, a constellation of efforts that are out there. Yes, your food is your foundation. Your health is your wealth. We talk about, obviously, exercise, stress reduction, ideal body weight management, but your food, and my individuals today are fierce, and they're going to talk about it, but the food really sets you up for failure or for success, and we want success. So... Quick stats, the estimated U.S. population of adults greater than 18 is at 245 million. 
The estimated number of vegetarians that includes vegans in this country, estimated of 18 and older, is at 8 million people based on a 2015 Harris Poll National Survey. And let me hit you with this, this fact. fact. The United States consumes more meat than any other country in the world. So what I want to do now is I want to introduce my guests. And here's how the show works. For those of you that have been following us, we thank you for coming back in. For those that are new to the show, each week I gather a group of my experts and we talk about a health topic. We talk about ways to impart change and ways to move the needle. So without further ado, I want to introduce my first guest. I've known him for a long time. We were residents together at our days at Loyola University Medical Center. Uh, he's a friend I've known for a long time. He's a colleague. He's an expert at what he does. He is a, he's, a, he's a man that wears multiple hats, by the way, but he's so passionate about this topic. So let me introduce everybody to my first guest, Dr. Steve Loam, board-certified cardiologist, Rush Copley Medical Center, www.rushcopley.com, founder and chairman of Plant-Based Nutrition Movement, www.pbnm.org, founder slash author of www.heartstrong.com, and founder slash author of www.learntheheart.com. I told you he's a jack of all trades. <laughs> he's a busy man, but again, uh, Dr. Loam, he and I go way back to our days of uh, getting, you know, no sleep at all and all that kind of stuff, and now we both still don't get sleep because we're family men and everything, so that just continued right from residency, which is great. But I want to welcome Dr. Stephen Loam to the show. Welcome, Dr. Loam. Thank you very much for having me. appreciate you having me here, and I'm glad to be here. Well, well Dr. Loam, just tell us a little bit about your background. Where did you do your training for, for, to become a physician? Uh, where did you do your residency? Where did you do your fellowship? That kind of stuff. And then maybe a few opening words about today's theme of the power of plant-based nutrition. Sure. So, yeah, I actually did my medical school at Midwestern University in Downers Grove, did a medicine residency with you at Loyola, and then stayed there for a cardiology fellowship. Graduated there in 2010, so I've been in clinical cardiology practice now for about eight years or so. And uh, how I got into the whole plant-based nutrition lifestyle is kind of from two different angles. First was, uh, personally, I followed the standard American diet for a long time, and I uh, used to be nearly 100 pounds heavier just four years ago. And, uh, and I was struggling with my weight, suffering from multiple obesity-related ailments. I had my own aha moment that I had to make a change for my own health. And that was really crazy how it coincided with my frustrations as a clinician because I was trained in the standard Western medicine practices, pills, pills, pills are the solution to everything, stents in the coronary arteries, bypass surgery are the solution to everything. But I was wondering why is it that I give my patients all the right pills and they tell me, you know, they don't like the pills that much, they cost money, they have side effects, and even if they take all the right pills, they could still have a heart attack or stroke or need a bypass surgery because the cause of cardiovascular disease relates to diet and lifestyle. That's what the treatment should be, is improving diet and lifestyle. So those two angles came together. Tried to lose weight by, you know, exercising, and let me tell you, you can never out-exercise your diet. It's important, uh, certainly exercise is, but nutrition is so much more powerful. And I didn't know that, because as you know, we got essentially zero training in nutrition throughout all zero. of our medical training, almost none. And so I was eating, doing the whole chicken and fish, low-fat dairy, olive oil thing, and eating unhealthy foods in moderation, and trying to exercise like crazy, lost a little weight, but was struggling. And then there was a documentary called Forks Over Knives with Hit Me right in the face, and I was like, whoa, this is crazy. When the guy gets up there and Dr. Esselstyn says, heart disease need never exist, and if it does exist, it need never progress, we could reverse it. I said, what? Is there real good science to support this? Is this really evidence-based, or is this propaganda? 
So I do my own research and I say, wow, this is real stuff. There's good science to support this. That heart disease, you know, the World Health Organization says is 80% preventable. But really, when you look at these other cultures, it's significantly higher. It could be close to 99% preventable, according to some good, sound research, Dean Ornish and Caldwell Esselstyn. And then I said, well, I've been doing things the wrong way this whole time, and this is what's you know, been missing from my personal life. So change to a plant-based diet, 60 pounds comes off within six months, and my whole approach to my patients just completely changed, and it spawned an energy in me, an activism in me to say, what are we doing as a culture in America? eating all these processed foods and animal-based foods. We're literally eating ourselves to death. And while we're at it, destroying our environment and planet while we're at it, it just makes no sense. Why is it that we're not waking up and doing more? And so that came my passion to do PBNM, Plant-Based Nutrition Movement, develop HeartStrong.com and spread awareness because that is the way that we have to make the change from a grassroots effort. So that's kind of my whole Excellent. background. Yeah. Well, Dr. Long, I mean, you're spitting the truth on that one. I mean, and it's doing things like this together that, that really hopefully help create that awareness, but really create that urgency. Because you're right, in the face of chronic disease burden that's not without any end in sight, we really have to try to do, to do something. So the passion that Dr. Loam has is amazing, and that's why I knew I had to, you know, when we talked about doing this show, I was like, okay, Dr. Loam, I gotta get you on the show. You're gonna have to just cancel your schedule, everything you're gonna do, and call my show, but, but we're really gonna have, so I can't wait to get into some more granular tactics with you on how we can make some real change. Yeah. My next guest, uh, he and I have a mutual acquaintance, and when I found out what he's doing, I was like, wow, okay, he's doing it. Dr. Loam is doing it. And I keep thinking, like, what am I doing, by the way? But I'm trying to do enough anyways. <laughs> but by the way, radio. Yeah, yeah, I guess we're doing the radio <laughs> show and trying to create awareness that way. Uh, but uh, but you know, when I found out what, what my next guest was doing, I was like, wow. And I read more about his organization. I go, wow. You know, this, you know, talk about somebody with a mission, with a purpose. And Dr. Loam just kind of uh, outlined his purpose and his passion. My next guest, Brad Barbera, he is all about passion and everything. So I want to introduce Brad. He's the director of innovation at the Good Food Institute. Check him out, www.gfi.org. Brad, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. Please give us a little bit about your background on how you just kind of got into this pathway, I mean, this purpose. How'd you get from point A to point B? Tell uh, everybody. Well, it, it feels like it's point A to about point L or so, but uh, <laughs> it, if I've learned anything in life, it's that uh, life is not a linear path. And I, uh, I started out as a mayonnaise engineer at Kraft Foods, my first job out of school, and uh, believe it or not, they need those. And, uh, and since then, uh, I have just gotten very much into innovation and how products get out to market, how to make them successful. Uh, through this mutual acquaintance we have, um, I was alerted that uh, the Good Food Institute was looking for a director of innovation. I thought, well, yeah, I'll check them out. And what an amazing mission-driven company uh, or organization. It's a, uh, it's a nonprofit. And it just makes it so easy to wake up every day and say, wow, I'm going to go make an impact in the world. And, and when you get to be my age, you start thinking about a legacy you want to leave behind and not just uh, you, know, you know trying to make ends meet. So a uh, fantastic organization to work with, uh, the most passionate and intelligent people uh, I've had a chance to work with, and it's uh, it's just a great thing that we get to do. We are basically trying to transform the food system into one that is healthier, more sustainable, and more humane. 
and you know what better way to wake up in the morning right excellent well thank you brad for sharing your story i mean we're going to get into some granular stuff with you too on things that we can be doing versus things that we're doing now so i just can't wait to get more granular on things with you i want to give a quick shout out to uh one of my guests uh who uh unfortunately had an, un an unexpected event come up but i just wanted to give her a big shout out because she was intimately involved in some of the prep for the show and, and really a passionate individual for really uh, creating awareness in this movement. I want to give a quick shout out to Chef Rain Truth, who is the founder and owner of The Cultured Vegan, www.theculturedvegan.com. She's also founder and owner, a founder of the Midwest Vegan Fest at www.midwestveganfest.com and the Vegan Soul Food and Drink Expo. So I want to thank her. Check out my website later on my Facebook page. We're going to have some recipes made by Chef Truth uh, for our listeners and our viewers and everything. So check it out later. We'll post it. We'll keep you up, the, up to date on everything. So thank you. So really what I do, now that you've met our esteemed guests, really what this show is about is really just having some granular discussion, but then hopefully some practical applications. And again, every time we do a show, we want people to get the right information. That is why I created this show, and I keep, I'm going to keep telling you guys that. Again, there's a lot of misinformation out there about health. It's sometimes very difficult to navigate the health system. Leverage me, leverage my experts, and let's do this together because it really does take a village to really make those outcomes. So really what I do each week, so we, now we know now that you guys have met the guests, I ask them a question and we start discussing it. So here it is. In medicine, of course, we talk about what's called the chief complaint. That's when somebody comes into your office with their particular ailment or concern of the day. So the chief complaint, a.k.a. the question of the hour, situation of the hour, how can we best integrate more plant-based foods into the American diet? So I want to start with Dr. Loam. I know that's a very kind of generic and very general questions, uh, question, but how do we start doing that? How do we start making this integration, making it more tangible, for those out there that care about their health? Well, I think that this is one of the ways, is by education, education, education. Really, we need people to understand the power of healthy eating, the power of good nutrition, and what good sound evidence-based nutrition shows. Because as you said, there is a ton of misinformation. Getting your nutrition information from the media, uh, from the newspaper, that can be very, very misleading. You want evidence-based nutrition, which is a challenge. So how, first of all, educating people the power that you have individually to take control of your own health is just absolutely vital. It's, it's critical. It's important. But then also showing people that eating plant-based foods can be spectacular and tasty and make you feel full and satisfied on the inside while providing every single nutrient that you need and it provides you the nutrients you need without providing you the nutrients you don't need, like cholesterol and saturated fat and other harmful substances. So, so it's really, I think, an education thing uh, from my perspective. And then just the culinary aspect, showing people how you can do it, and then actually bringing it into market and doing more innovative things to get it in front of people and have people understand how powerful it is. You know, we focus on whole, unprocessed, plant-based foods. And there are some transition-type foods which are more, um, you know, meat substitutes and such, which are better than eating the meat or animal products themselves. However, uh, we like eventually to get people to the more whole plant-based foods. So just letting people understand that. Because people can consume plant-based diets and be unhealthy doing so. You need to do it in a healthy fashion. And so that education is just so powerful. And what's the most powerful thing is starting when you're a kid, getting your kids involved. And so getting those parents educated to say, hey, listen, yeah, eat your vegetables and your fruits, but you know what? 
processed foods need to be out, and you really need to dramatically reduce animal-based foods or, uh, or exclusively eliminate them as, as, uh, as a lot of uh, cultures and such essentially do. So it's the education component, yeah. Thank you. Brad, what's your, what's your take on just generally how do we start to attack this challenge? How do we integrate more plant-based sources into the American diet? Well, as you pointed out, there's uh, incredibly high meat consumption in the U.S. And we've looked into why is that? You know, if you ask people and they'll say, well, yeah, I, I don't want to eat as much meat. I, I think there's, uh, it's not good for me, you know. But they keep coming back to it for taste and for protein. There's a lot of research out there. And, in fact, one of the stats that uh, I've highlighted before and why uh, it, it is hard for people. 44% of people who have tried to reduce their meat intake go back to it because they just find a taste so good and they miss that taste. Um, so it, our approach with, at the Good Food Institute is to help support organizations that are creating substitutes for meat that taste great, they're priced right, and they're convenient. They're things that in forms that people are familiar with, whether it's sausages or burgers or whatever. It, it, they cook the same, they taste great, and now people can make the right choice the default choice because they don't have to think it through. They don't have to think, oh my gosh, is this really healthy for me? Is, is that scary because it's going to taste bad? No, they just default go to it and you know, it, it just makes that uh, innovation flow into the marketplace better. Excellent. You know, for me, as a, as a primary care physician, being on the front lines, and I'm going to ask Dr. Long a question in a second, but as a primary care physician on the front lines, I really think like, I have a, a, a responsibility, a duty to just make sure, that, again, that people have those resources. And yeah, I like to have some frank discussions about it. Am I the best nutritionist in the whole wide world? I am absolutely not. But I know people that have resources that can give the right information, but I think it's like getting people into the door for me as a physician, but also as we kind of do things like this or get out there, you know, advocacy, advocacy more education partnerships, collaborations at the local of state, even federal level, ways to really get engagement going on, support groups like your group, Brad, with the Good Food Institute, and passion-based cardiologists like Dr. Malone. It's like, it may, maybe be, it may seem like it's a, like a daunting challenge, but it's not an impossible challenge. What's your thoughts about that, Dr. Malone? I mean, is it impossible what we're talking about today, or is something really tangible? No, I, I think it's not impossible, and I think it's actually critical that we move it forward, because as we're reaching a, reaching a crisis state in our current healthcare system. Medicare is going to be broke by 2026 because of all the spending on, on chronic diseases. They say that 80% of healthcare spending are for diseases that are preventable related to diet and lifestyle factors. However, nearly 20% of the American economy is healthcare spending. And so if you do that math, 80% of that 20%, 16% of our economy is healthcare spending for diseases that are preventable related to diet and lifestyle. We could take those resources and put them in other places. We could do so many other good things with them, schools and infrastructure and stuff, but we're taking that money and spending it on chronic diseases that are preventable and people are suffering as a result of us not changing our system. And so we really need to shift that over. So it is doable and, and we have to do it and we have to make that effort. So it, it, it certainly is achievable, but it takes everybody to unite together. It takes not only physicians, but also companies, organizations, politicians. It really has to be a whole overall movement. So I do think it's doable, and we have to do it. And then the whole environmental aspect, we have no choice, too, because of the climate change stuff. So we must. Brad, Brad, what's your thought about just starting an integrative process? You know, we're talking here today about certainly Dr. Lomanai's physicians, uh, you, what you're doing with, with innovation and Good Food Institute, 
How do you get people together? I mean, I know one of the things that you're doing is you're trying to find, you know, you're, you're trying to link the food industry to the scientists, to the, to the climatologists, to just the chefs, to the physicians, how do you, how do you, to the communities. I mean, there's, the, the list can go on on this interconnected web. How do you just start doing something like that? Uh, you, we are uh, at this nexus where uh, when you start looking at uh, trying to help promote a plant-based diet, you're actually solving a lot of really big global problems. And a lot of people have their own individual concerns, but when all of those concerns kind of keep coming to that same spot, it makes it a kind of an easy sell. It, you know, if somebody's uh, really concerned about the environment first and foremost in their lives, you can talk to them, hey, you know, plant-based diet actually is really good for the environment. If they say, well, you know, I'm really concerned about poverty, uh, for example. Well, when you're, you're feeding animals a ton of calories to only slaughter them and only get a tiny little fraction of it out, you're actually you know, kind of contributing to that, that poverty problem because you know, those calories could have gone to feed people directly. Um, you know, there's, there's lots of different discussion points that can bring them, I think, together on this uh, particular topic. And then you start realizing, wow, I can really change the world just by doing a couple of relatively simple things. Uh, you know, obviously, we, we, this is not surprising to anybody, but obviously we realize that there are some inequities that are going on in, in various communities. You know, there may be somebody out there who wants to go plant-based, but maybe in their particular community that may be underserved or as a food desert, they don't have those food opportunities. So I'm going to ask you a follow-up question, Brad. How do we try to get some of those opportunities out there to the communities that want to do this so you can create an even playing field? Because obviously in these communities, if they're and not having those resources, you're still seeing a big rate of chronic disease burden, diabetes, heart disease, obesity, cancer. You're seeing all that kind of stuff in these underserved communities. How do we start by getting resources there when the resources aren't available? Uh, that's a, a huge question, obviously, but uh, I think our approach is really trying to uh, support the innovations in the space where we can get out uh, delicious and nutritious plant-based foods. Uh, that are also affordable and, and make them so uh, ubiquitous in, in society that you know, they are available even in food deserts um, and at a price that you know, people can afford and uh, live off of. What's your thoughts on that one, Dr. Wong? How do you try to create some more equity when there's inequity? Yeah, I think a lot of it still comes back to education because when you think about yeah, food deserts and access to healthy foods is certainly an issue. Granted, nowadays, at least some of the good pantry items are available. You could just buy on Amazon for very cheap, which is nice. But when we think about plant-based foods and whole plant-based foods, it's peasant food. This is what the peasants used to eat a long time ago, right? Beans are a buck a pound or less. How much does chicken or beef cost? You know, yeah, a, lot more. Yeah, a lot more, a lot more. And so, you know, you can you can buy a 50-pound bag of potatoes sometimes for like three, four, five dollars or so, and potatoes can be healthy, especially sweet potatoes, as long as they're fat-free and not fried in oil or butter. You put marshmallows on them. Yeah, it's not that's not healthy for you. However, you can really do well uh, on a plant-based diet, and it could be cheap for you if we had that skill back in our culture as to how to cook plant-based meals that taste good, that satisfy you, that fill you up, but also help promote good health. And when you think about the long-term consequences of this, the medical costs go way down, so overall, you're certainly saving money. So it comes down a lot to education that, listen, you can save money eating this way, you'll be healthier eating this way, less medications you have to pay for, less hospitalizations. And so getting it out there into those food deserts is just super important. There was a, a great article on ForksOverKnives.com where somebody lived for 14 days 
on a dollar and fifty cents per day on a whole food plant-based diet. That's amazing, That's by amazing. the way. And you should see it the sounds, food It sounds just mind-boggling. Yeah. yeah. And so when you think of it that way, this can solve a lot of problems. These people will save money uh, with good access access to good healthy foods and, and save on medical bills. And it just, it's a win-win for everybody. We just need to get it out there to them with education and activism. Well, that's a great way to do it. And again, this is a work in progress, but I think, again, as we're trying to continue to move the needle, we just have to have things. And, you know, I always think about this thing, you know, I want to be part of something that's bigger than what I'm doing, bigger than myself, but we have to do that. We have to kind of check our egos at the door and say, hey, we want to be so part of something special. And when you're talking about saving our planet at the same time, too, the implications for us as, as parents, uh, us as, as men, of course, us as, as just people, there's so many more downstream implications, so we're doing it for a passion. Love it hearing you guys talking about this. So let me ask this question. I'm going to ask this question uh, uh, to, uh, to Brad. So uh, I'll kind of set up for you. So kind of many of our palates, as you know, have been trained to enjoy kind of the savory fats, the salts, the sugars. Am I getting hungry right now? I think I am for some reason. But, but it's, a tr it's a trick question. It's not a trick question. But, but, but we know that our palates are set up at an early age. And, and maybe we'll get to, we should get into this a little bit more, but how do we go about, maybe in your opinion, how do we go about untraining uh, the brain, our palates, when it's been, so, um, it's been so set up already? You know, people, as you said earlier, people want to try to make these kind of moves, but they regress a lot. So how do we kind of just kind of do that? And let me ask you a second question, too. Number one, how do you start maybe doing that untraining? But then number two, how do you keep somebody from relapsing at the end of the day? What's your thoughts on that? Wow. Uh, so a little bit outside of my area of expertise, I'll, I'll admit. But um, when we talk about some of the plant-based uh, foods and some of the companies that are producing them, um, we can see those as kind of being the gateway drug into a plant-based diet. So when you get a, a burger that is entirely plant-based, but it tastes just like what you're used to, it can start feeding your mind with, hey, this is actually, I can eat a plant-based diet and I can be satisfied and I can feel full and I can feel happy uh, about my meals. So that can, you know, just kind of give them that little entry. And then uh, over time, they can start experimenting with some other things and, you know, getting to the point where, you know, you know maybe their palates are not craving you know, some of those uh, you know, fats and salts yeah. and things. Thanks. Thanks on that one. I mean, I think you, you offer a good perspective. Dr. Lohm, what's your perspective on how you're doing it? Because I know you're advising patients that you're seeing and you're trying to help coach them through this kind of change. How do you go about doing that untraining, the, the trained, already trained palate? Well, I agree with everything that, that he said that, um, you know, sometimes these trans, we call them transition foods, to give people the taste and the pleasure that they're used to while they're learning the skill of integrating more whole, unprocessed plant-based foods into their diet and getting more towards a complete whole food plant-based diet. So introducing more healthy foods by default crowds the unhealthy food out. And then the taste preferences change. They always say it takes about two to three weeks before salt and sugar cravings go away, but it can take as long as two to three months before fat cravings go away. And that's the more, more of a challenge. But it's super important because as you really eat clean, you can change your cravings. When somebody eats a standard American diet, something that's hyper-stimulating your palate with sugar, salt, and fat, and then you go eat a healthy plant-based meal, it tastes like cardboard to people. It doesn't taste healthy at all. And people say, there's no way I can eat plant-based. Like, this food doesn't taste very great. But if you stick to it and season it right, it does taste great. And honestly, your preferences change. And you begin craving and loving those plant-based foods. And when you go back to eating something that's salty or sugar, you kind of go, whoa, why does that taste so salty, so sugar? I can't believe that I used to eat that. 
One of the interesting ways that this actually happens, there's some good uh, data that shows that our microbiome plays a role. That if you start eating animal-based foods, you select for a microbiome, which sends feedback to your brain saying, eat more animal-based foods, because that's in the best interest of your microbiome survival. However, if you eat more plant-based foods, say you eat beans, the bean bacteria grow inside your gut and tell your brain, hey, you need to eat more beans because if you don't, we're going to die down here. And so it sends feeds back back. So as your microbiome changes, a lot of your cravings change. And I think that's a crazy interesting way to, to see how really powerful it is as you eat more plant-based foods, your cravings will change. And so how do you prevent people from relapsing? It's just setting up the right environment, doing it as a family, getting the unhealthy foods out, and just learning that skill of how to cook the food well. Once you learn the skill, just like if you learn how to play a guitar, you got that skill for the rest of your life, right? Learn how to eat a plant-based diet and eat healthy. It's a skill you have forever. So you've got you to gotta learn that skill. Don't just rely on buying food from somewhere or some quick, easy fix. You've got to learn that skill. Let me ask you a final question, Dr. Loam, because I get, I get into this situation a lot as a, as a, as a clinician where I might have uh, a patient of mine who, has, who is going through, actually going through that transition, but the rest of the family's not. And that, of course, can lead to a little bit of um, financial constraints or some potential burdens there. Uh, but also, when I think about some of the patients that come in and tell me, it's like, all right, my husband, he won't do this. My kids certainly won't do it, but I'm doing it. But, but how do you kind of approach this kind of situation? I know you've seen those kind of situations with some of the patients that, you, that you're dealing with. You know, maybe there's somebody out there that's listening to us right now that's trying to make that transition um, and it's a little bit more difficult. How do you kind of support that when maybe the rest of the family is maybe a little bit reluctant to go through some of those changes? Well, first of all, I'd love to talk to the family and that to know how important <laughs> it is, but that's not always feasible. And so really, if that person, supporting them as a physician, I want to give them my support. If they have my support, they'll be more successful for sure. But they should also seek out other support groups. There are plant-based support groups all over the place, which is what one of the things we're doing at, at pbnm.org. But it's just so important to educate them. I mean, Dr. Kim Williams, past president of the American College of Cardiology, he says straight out that the person who cooks for the family is the one who decides whether the family gets heart disease or a diet-related cancer. And so when you put it that way, you go, geez, that's a big responsibility I have. And so that person who's trying to do it, despite everybody else not saying, listen, they need to just stand straight up and say, this is the way I'm cooking. It's for my own health, and I want you guys to be healthy, too. When I cook, this is what we're eating. If you want to eat something else some other time, that's your decision. However, I'm doing the shopping, I'm doing the cooking, and you have to eat what I cook or, or get your own food. <laughs> that's the way it's got to be. Sometimes you got to draw a line in the sand on that one. I try to tell it to my patients. And it's interesting, as my wife and I uh, and our family are trying to make some of these transitions a lot more real than just kind of talk. You know, the whole thing is, is you want to have you know, actions speak louder than words, and we're trying to make these actions. And one of the challenges is in my mind, and I think as a physician, like, all right, do I go all in? Do I go like half in? Do I go like three quarters in or, or, or not? But so let me ask this kind of question, one more question back to you, Dr. Lone. Is it an all or none game on when it comes to what we're talking about today? I mean, we've laid out the groundwork that chronic disease is there, and it's rising with no end in sight. Do people have to jump all in, or is this just part of just the whole totality of a healthy lifestyle? Well, great question, and it really depends on the person's individual situation. Once you already have a chronic disease, heart disease or stroke or some type of cardiovascular disease, going all in is ideal and actually would, according to the evidence, be the best situation. It's challenging for everybody to just all of a sudden, within 24 hours, hey, now I'm on a plant-based diet. That's, that's a challenge. And so certainly for young, otherwise healthy people, it is a spectrum. The more plant-based they eat, the healthier they're going to be. But the magic really happens 
when you get about 90 to 95% of your calories from unprocessed plant-based foods. And that's where the blue zones were, the longest living cultures in the world blue ever. Zones. And the blue zones, they were they averaged 95% of calories from unprocessed plant-based foods. And so when you're young and healthy, if you can get to that 95% mark, you're nearly guaranteed that you're not gonna develop some kind of a chronic disease. And so, if, yeah, if you're 50%, you'll be better than if you were 20%. However, the magic is 90 to 95% or so. Yeah, I was doing some uh, a little bit of research uh, for the show, and I wrote this down, and I don't want to mess up the words, but uh, as Dr. Dr. Long just mentioned, the blue zone population, uh, the blue zones in, in the world, and, and really, that the, for those, uh, I actually did a show on this um, a number of months ago, but really, those the blue zones are really the population of the world that have the, have the, have the least amount of disease burden, they live the longest, they have the healthiest quality of life, and really, when you're looking at it, as Dr. Long said, the, those populations, when you look and try to model that, you look at what are they having there together, and really the reality is that they're eating a plant-based diet. Uh, they also have great fellowship and, and companionship. They also have um, healthy ways to deal with stress. And so when you look at those communities, it's, it's amazing on the outcomes because they live the longest. And, you know, so I remember it's like I think it's Italy, uh, Sardinia in Italy. There's Ikaros in Greece. There's Okinawa in Japan. Loma Linda, California. And I remember part of uh, Costa Rica called Nicoya. And, but, but there's other populations out there, too. There's populations in, in northern Mexico, some of the indigenous populations, or in, or in New Guinea, where, or, or in rural China, where they haven't seen a case of a heart attack in a long time, if, if ever. I mean, that's documented. I mean, they can go years. We're talking about hundreds of thousands of people, years without a, without a heart attack. It's just, I think it's just fascinating that they don't get those kind of disease burdens. So let me ask you this. Uh, I want to ask Brad this question, because Dr. Lowe mentioned starting young, uh, which is important, and, and we're looking at some of these populations, we're talking about these blue zones, yes, and you're starting young there because that is the culture, that is the expectation, that is the community. So, so let me ask this question for Brad. How do we start with our youth? How do we go about that? Uh, what needs to be happening happen from the family standpoint? What needs to happen at the school level? How can we integrate this better? Well, you know, there's, uh, I, I think the uh, comments about the relationships and the culture are absolutely critical. And uh, I, I love the quote about the, the one who's doing the cooking for the family is making these decisions uh, about everyone's health. Um, I think uh, our approach would be to say, let's make it as easy as possible for them. So uh, let it fit into their culture, let it fit into their existing relationships. And if we can, you know, get... You know, get them to eat 20% more, and then 30%, yeah. and then 50%, and, yes. and, and keep incrementally uh, digging at it because it is now easy. It's not a tremendous sacrifice. It's not this burden that you have to carry in order to transition your diet. Uh, so that is, that's where we're trying to go, just focusing on that taste, price, and convenience aspect so that it is just the default choice. It is that easy to make Excellent. a transition. Let's, let's talk about some of the advocacy, advocacy that's out there. And... Dr. Lom, I know you're really kind of like the boots on the ground with this, certainly doing what you're doing with plant-based plant nutrition movement, but let's talk about some of the advocacy. Uh, now, correct me if I'm wrong, but I understand now that the state of California, in the state of California, hospitals are now required to offer at least one plant-based meal um, on their menus. Is that correct? Yeah, Am I that, accurate with that statement? That's correct, and it's not only hospitals, it's nursing homes and prisons as well. It's so crazy important. This is really weird if you think about it, that people can come into a, to a hospital with a heart attack or have a bypass surgery, 
and they wake up to eggs, bacon, and sausage, the same food that actually caused the disease. And you, you take a step back and think back in the 40s and 50s, they were serving cigarettes to people in hospitals. Yeah. And doctors, the doctors were smoking cigarettes were too. Yeah. <laughs> I actually had a patient who showed me the burn wound from the cigarette that the cardiologist dropped on the patient and burned them during heart surgery. It's oh, crazy. So the cardiologist <laughs> smoking during heart surgery. But right now, in our current day system, it's we're feeding people food that caused the diseases that we're supposed to be preventing. And so the American College of Cardiology and the American Medical Association both have strong policies stating that not only should plant-based meals be offered to patients in the hospital, but the American College of Cardiology takes it a step further and says they should be promoted actively to heart disease patients. And so you know, it just makes so much sense. You shouldn't be feeding somebody cholesterol and saturated fat when their arteries are clogged and you just treat them that way. Now they don't force those patients to eat those foods. They need to be offered on the menu front and center. And you know, it should have happened a long time ago, I think. So now that California's taking the reins, what about the other 49 states? Yeah, so they, <laughs> California always does things first. We got it done in our hospital at Rush Copley. We got five plant-based menu options front and center on the hospital menu. That is a wonderful yeah, way to get at the, local, at the local level. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Excellent. So, Brad, what are your thoughts? Like, uh, like, again, we're talking about bringing people together with a common mission, a common purpose. You know, what other kind of action steps can we take? I mean, that's a great example at the hospital level to say, hey, we're going to do this. But what can businesses do about this? What can organizations do about this? You know, this is a hospital making, making a policy decision, which is a business too, don't get me wrong, a hospital's a business. But what can other groups do together? What, what's, talk about the power, you know, they can have when you have numbers. Well, we like to talk about uh, how harnessing the power of markets. And uh, we go out, my uh, department within the Good Food Institute is out actively trying to recruit entrepreneurs uh, that are looking to start companies, uh, recruiting the science and technology people who can uh, create the products that are healthier and also taste great, priced right, convenient. Uh, we offered uh, some support with regards to schools. Uh, you brought up uh, how do we reach the children uh, and helping these uh, entrepreneurs get into schools with products that can substitute for the less healthy products that are there right now. Uh, so there's lots of opportunities and the beauty of it all is you don't have to be doing it just out of the goodness of your heart. These are genuine business opportunities that people can uh, really make a good living at. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I think that's that, that's a great example, and it's interesting. I think about the traditional vending machines of yesterday. Actually, if they're still present today, I shouldn't really call them yesteryear because the reality, and one of the things that, that frustrates me, uh, and certainly maybe maybe Dr. Long, I need you to come over to my office and uh, see what we can do to try to uh, shake things up a little bit. But but every day I walk in and I've got to my office and I've got that traditional vending machine that has. The bad stuff in there. And we know, and you guys out there that listen to us now, you know what the bad stuff is. You got your chips, got your saturated fats, you got your a ton of chocolate. Uh, hey, we just had Halloween, that's enough. Uh, but a ton of the products, and, and again, maybe groups don't know how to make that change. So, you know, let me ask this question to, to Dr. Lone. You know, how did you guys kind of go about doing it? Because maybe that's a model for somebody that's out there listening to it right now. So talk, talk about how you went about doing it at the local level. So, yeah, at, well, at Rush Copley, you know, thank goodness it was pretty easy because the policies are there, they're solid, and they say straight out, you need to do this. They also said straight out that sugar-sweetened beverages should be removed from hospitals and processed meat should be removed, too. And so, really, when you show people, show administration the data, you need to have support of the administration, but you need to be active and show the solid evidence, that's how you get things done. Now, to actually 
go into schools and try to get you know the vending machines cleaned up or other, or other places. It's it's a challenge because those are big money makers. They have contracts with these big vendors and they make money. And so offering them an alternative as to hey listen we can do this instead and we'll still make sure that you you guarantee a good profit if you sell these healthier things instead. That's a good way to to try to shift schools and other places off of those unhealthy vending machines because you see them and they'll say oh calories count they have warnings about how healthy it is yet half of it is sugar sweetened beverages or or processed you know junk food in there so it it's it's got to be you know all levels but show show people the evidence get administration involved and find an alternate solution that actually can be profitable and promote good health at the same time was it uh brad how do you kind of think about you know when we think about trying to make this transition a lot of people may have a fear of just like what's it going to taste like you know, we live in a society where we have where we have taste up here, and we have way down below nutrition. How do we get taste and nutrition on the same level? You talked a little bit earlier about it, like knowing that like a, a burger that you're making plant based can taste it, but how do you actually go uh, go about that? And then how do you actually get people to actually believe it? Because you can I can, I can talk about it as as a physician, and, and I might get the the look. And it's like, what are you talking about? But but how do you kind of equate taste and nutrition? On the same level because that's the reality of what we're dealing with yeah absolutely and I think um, where at least where we're trying to take it is to not even worry about uh, well I shouldn't say that don't want to say I'm not, we're not worried about nutrition but not force other people to really worry about it on a level where they start thinking oh my gosh is it, if it's good for me it probably isn't going to taste good we want it to be just that uh, instant reaction. So when they see it in the store and they realize it's plant-based, that it, you uh, emphasize on the packaging, like, this looks good, this looks delicious. You don't emphasize, like, uh, you know, it's cardiac healthy or something like that because that starts generating doubt in their heads. Uh, so that's one of the things we work with with, uh, with various startups is how do you communicate to consumers so that they just grab this off the shelf when it is actually good for them. And then afterward, the uh, consumer can start rationalizing their choice as, hey, I, I did something good for myself. I did something good for my family. Even though I bought it because it looked so darn good and so darn tasty, I now know, you know, after uh, eating it and, and seeing that as plant-based, that it, it is actually better for all of us. Thank you. As a, as a cardiologist, Dr. Long, you've seen the challenges. You've seen the 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 deaths. I mean, let's be honest. You've seen the the the, the damage or the permanent effects that can do if someone does survive a chronic disease, an acute heart attack or an acute stroke, the rehab that's involved with that, the family burden, the financial expenses. So, you know, how do we go about? You know, from a preventive cardiology standpoint, you know, what do we need to be doing? Like, I mean, we know we need to do better as physicians. What could we be doing better as physicians? You know, we instead of talking the talk. How do we as docs walk the walk? What's kind of your messaging out there? Well, what we have to do, since we weren't had essentially zero formal training in nutrition, we have to take it upon ourselves as physicians to learn evidence-based nutrition. Every physician or healthcare provider needs to read the book called How Not to Die by Dr. Michael Greger. It's considered essentially a textbook of evidence-based nutrition. It's a phenomenal book, New York Times bestseller for three years in a row. Take it upon yourselves to learn good evidence-based nutrition and make that the focus of what you discuss with your patients. That's super important. However, honestly, just like a long time ago, most physicians smoke cigarettes, right? How could they tell their patients to stop smoking cigarettes if they themselves did it? So physicians need to take control of their own health. They need to eat clean. They need to stay active. They need to approach their ideal body weights to be a good example for their patients. Because as, as you see, I've seen 
so many people suffering from these chronic diseases and all the burdens, and it, it really just drives me crazy now that I've kind of switched over to this preventative mindset after you know regaining my own health. I see a 40 or 50 year old guy who weighs 300 pounds and had a bypass surgery and a leg amputation, is diabetic, taking 30 pills, and I think to myself, you know, our culture has failed this person, our food systems failed this person, but you know what? Our healthcare systems failed this person too, because this didn't have to happen. This was preventable if we just stop focusing on treating symptoms with pills and procedures and start focusing on treating root causes of disease, which is nutrition and lifestyle related. That's where we can make the impact. However. Our current system is not financially aligned with that model. We need a complete paradigm shift away from pills and procedures and you know getting paid for productivity towards nutrition and lifestyle and getting paid for actually achieving good outcomes for your patients. Weight loss, cholesterol levels, blood pressure levels, diabetes, not just diabetes control because that can be done with pills, but how about diabetes reversal? reversal. Yeah, yeah, I reversal keyword. Yeah. You know, you hit the head on the nail. One of the things that's a big challenge is, is really you know, how do we go in the opposite direction? Again, we're trying to create this urgency, you know, it's different, a lot of times, as a primary care doctor, a lot of people come and see me because disease already happened. You know, people don't enter the current system when they're feeling well, and you're right, it's gotta be a complete paradigm shift on how do we go from a disease model to a well model. So what I wanna do right now, I wanna kind of uh, introduce people, or reintroduce, because those of us that have been, those of you that have been listening to the show every week, you know I like to do something called Myths versus Facts. And for those of you that are new listening to our show, really, it's an opportunity to kind of get rid of the, 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 the misinformation, to really kind of dispel those rumors, and really talk about accuracy. And again, that's one of the reasons why we're here today, talking about such an important topic that has so many implications. We need to get kind of the, 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 the fact, the, 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 we got to separate myth from fact. So each week I do this on the show, so here we go. I'm going to say a statement. And then our panelists, I'm going to ask the panelists uh, to respond to that statement with either myth or fact. And then they're going to give us a few sentences on why it is a myth or a fact. So here we go to your health with Dr. G. Myth versus facts on the power of plant-based nutrition. So here we go. First statement to Dr. Loam. Here we go. Here's the statement. Vegetarians and vegans are able to get all the protein they need. Myth or fact? Absolutely fact. Strongest animals in the world, gorillas, rhinos, elephants, they're plant-based. Strongest man in the world can bench press 750 pounds and did a yoke walk with 1,150 pounds on his back, plant-based. You see Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady, 90 to 95% plant-based. So many athletes are doing it. Actually, as long as you're eating unprocessed plant-based foods, you get all that you need. There is not a single case report in the medical literature a protein deficiency on a plant-based diet as long as you're getting adequate calories. So Excellent. And to piggyback on what Dr. Loam said, you know, I think about, uh, obviously, you think about the legumes, uh, we think about the nuts, the seeds, the vegetables, fruits, you can get that there. So that is a great thing. And I love, I love, I love, I love starting out with that one because we're trying to sever myth versus fact. That is an absolute fact. All right. Myth versus fact. Second statement to Brad. Here we go. <clears throat> Let's see which one I got a nice list here. All right. Here we go. Brad, here we go, for you. There is no proof that a plant-based diet is healthier than other diets. What's your thoughts on that, myth or fact? Well, I think that uh, it has already been dispelled as a myth uh, here on this show. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> uh, see previous remarks that we yes, made exactly. already on this episode. Yeah. Uh, but that is true. Yeah. I mean, there, there is a, there's so much evidence 
on the benefits of what we're talking about. Absolutely. So that's it. All right, myth versus fact. Here we go, Dr. Long. Sorry, if I could. Uh, please, yeah, go ahead. No, if I, uh, just add one more thing. Uh, yes. In terms of, of health uh, with a plant-based diet, um, we've talked a lot about the uh, health impacts to an individual on, on eating their plants, but there's also a, a major issue around health regarding uh, uh, antibiotic resistance. And one of the uh, forecasts that uh, from the World Bank, I believe it was, uh, was saying that by 2050, more deaths will be will become will come from antibiotic resistant disease than from cancer, and it will cost the world economy a hundred trillion with a T dollars. It is an absolutely enormous uh, issue, and what most people don't realize is the vast majority of antibiotics in use are being fed to animals in their feed because the conditions in which they're raised require uh, that just to simply prevent some disease. So switching to a plant-based diet helps to alleviate the dramatic overuse of antibiotics in our food system. And that is also a major health issue that uh, we can address with this that very few people recognize. Excellent. Thank you, Brad, for some of the detailed explanation on that. Next statement, plant-based uh, plant nutrition myths versus facts. Here we go. Dr. Lone. Uh, here we go. I like this one. Plant protein is inferior to animal protein. Myth or fact? Complete myth. Uh, so but plant protein is actually superior to animal proteins in many different ways. Not only is animal protein strongly linked to chronic disease in many different uh, studies, however, you get all the amino acids that you need if you eat plant-based foods. And you don't need to combine rice and beans to get all of your plant-based at each individual meal. Your body is amazingly designed over so many millions of years to, to figure out how to get everything that you need nutritionally, and we can do so all from plants. If you ever went to uh, chronometer.com, it's a free website, you can sign up and you can track what you eat on a plant-based diet for just a day or two, and you'll see not only does your amino acid intake skyrocket. You do great getting all the essential amino acids on a, on a plant-based diet. However, all your other micronutrients go way up. You wouldn't believe, wow, I'm getting way more iron now. I'm getting way more of all these other micronutrients. So you get everything you need. So I like when you're talking about the, the micronutrients, the phytochemicals, the antioxidants. So I mean, the list goes on and on of the things that we can do out of this. Next statement for bread, myth versus fact, plant-based nutrition. Here we go. Eating a plant-based diet is costly. Myth or fact? Well, unfortunately, I think uh, Whole Foods may have created that myth for <laughs> a lot of us, but it's absolute myth uh, that, uh, as uh, was pointed out, you can get a, a complete diet uh, for $1.50 a day, I think you would say. That's pretty crazy. Uh, yeah. I mean, it is, it's, uh, it is not necessary to spend an exorbitant amount to eat a very healthy diet. Excellent. Well, thank you for, the, uh, thank you for that insight on this one. I'm going to do a couple more of these. Here we go for Dr. Loam. Myths versus facts, plant-based nutrition. Here we go. There are limited food options available when choosing a plant-based diet. So, there are more than 100,000 edible plant species out there. That doesn't seem limited <laughs> to me. And when you think of what people normally eat on their more animal-based diet, how many animals are they eating? Three or four? Yeah, just a couple. People go to the store and they, they buy their apples and bananas and their lettuce and they pass up everything else in that produce department. But think about in your mind what that produce department looks like. There are so many different things out there that you could eat. You have no idea. Not only that, but culturally, you can not only eat good American healthy food, pastas, pizzas, burgers, all this other stuff, but there's whole food, plant-based Indian cuisines and Thai cuisines and Mexican cuisines. Every cuisine can be eaten this way. There's an unlimited possibility. Just go on some recipe websites and you'll look at it and you'll be blown away at the food that you could eat. There's no limitations. In fact, 
when you actually eat this way, you, you have way more that you can eat and you enjoy a lot more. Love it. Thank you. And I'll do the last myth versus fact for Brad. Here we go. Myth versus fact. Uh, Plant-based nutrition style. Here we go. Eating a plant-based diet will leave you hungry all the time. Oh. Myth or fact? Uh, absolute uh, myth. Uh, yes, it's. Uh, I have found that, uh, especially when you uh, get the uh, dramatic intake of fiber, which uh, is uh, not something you're going to get out of meat, uh, you can be very well satiated for quite a while on a plant-based diet. And it's, uh, yeah, that is a myth. Excellent. Well, what we want to do, we've got about five minutes left, guys, and this has been just a great discussion. I just kind of really setting the record straight, but also talking about the importance of change that people can make, tangible change that they can make today. And we're just going to continue to keep moving that needle. So with about five minutes left, uh, I want to kind of bring this thing home. And so at the beginning of the show, we talked about the chief complaint on the question of the hour that we're dealing with and how do we integrate uh, more plant-based nutrition to the American diet. So now we're going to wrap it up. We call this the assessment and plan. And in medicine, once we call Dr. Loma and I know when you, when, when you do an assessment and plan, that's really after you've done, you've heard the patient uh, with their complaints, you've done your examination, you've dissected the problem, and now you come up with your idea, your management, your diagnosis, and your game plan. So what I want to do, I want to start with Brad. Brad, the assessment plan for this, why don't you give us like, give us kind of like your top three or a couple take-home points for consumers that are out there, those that are listening to our show, what are some take-home points that they can do to apply this message today? What's your thoughts on kind of bringing this thing home? Uh, well, uh, from my perspective, one thing I would strongly suggest is to uh, change the mindset that may have been created uh, you know, from decades ago uh, about plant-based foods, and in particular uh, where you know, the Good Food Institute is focusing on some of those substitutes for meats. Uh, those uh, uh, so veg veggie burgers from uh, the 70s uh, probably turned a lot of people off and uh, it made people think, well, yeah, you can't make anything good out of that. Uh, there are a couple of brands, uh, the Impossible Burger, uh, which is available in restaurants, and the Beyond Burger and the Beyond Sausages, which are available in grocery stores. Impossible and Beyond really reset the benchmark and they have made these products taste not just acceptable, but fantastic. They're really good. So I'd strongly encourage people to go out and try some things. And because they have reset that benchmark, now all of the traditional manufacturers are also going back and reformulating. And they're very concerned now about like clean labels and you know, while still de delivering great taste and uh, true plant-based foods. So uh, because that benchmark has been reset, I would strongly encourage people just to say, you know, give it another try because I think it'll be worth it and they'll be very well pleased. Excellent advice. Dr. Long, take us home. Give us a couple of take-home points that, for people to be successful in going down this pathway. Well, first of all, what I would say is, number one, the person, the individual, has the most power over their own health destiny. The most power is within the person. It's not for the drugs or the pills or the surgeries or procedures or even your doctor. It's up to you personally, such as heart disease. It's not purely genetic. Genes load the gun. The diet and lifestyle pulls the trigger. So understanding that. Number two is the way to achieve good longevity, good health without chronic diseases is a predominantly or exclusively plant-based diet. Get your total cholesterol under 150 and your LDL under 70, which is aggressive all with diet and lifestyle, not with just drugs. And number three, most importantly in some senses, is once you've taken control of your own health, 
you know that you now have the power to save other people's lives. You may not be a physician listening to this, uh, this program, but understanding how important dying lifestyle is, you can be the change. You can be active. You can help your loved ones and other people to spread this good word as to how super powerful it is within you to change your diet, change your lifestyle, prevent and even reverse diseases like reversing heart disease and reversing diabetes. It can be done. So be active. Save other people's lives. And, uh, and it's so, so rewarding and it feels so good on the inside when you know you've done a good thing, not, for your, not just for yourself, but for other people, your loved ones, the planet, everything. It just all comes together. A plant-based diet checks all the boxes. Love it. Love the passion. Well, my kind of take-home point is this. You know, today we've been talking about really the power to make a change. Talking about setting the foundation of your nutrition as a way to really be a catalyst for success in so many other aspects of your life. At the end of the day, we all want the right things. We all want to live a long time. We all want to feel well. We want to have quality of our life. We want to eventually leave that legacy that Brad referred to earlier in the show. But we all want those opportunities. And really, it's about really that mindset. Mindset. Every morning, we are blessed to wake up. We are blessed to go ahead and try to make something different. Be, be part of something bigger than yourself. Make these changes. Talk with your physician. If you don't know how where to start, ask your physician. Your physician will probably know a handful of certified nutritionists or experts like Dr. Loam or other connections like what Good Food Institute. But there are resources out there for you to go ahead and take advantage of. It's just today is the day to do it. Not, not tomorrow. Today is the day to do it. Just with everything that we talk about, it's all about that mindset and making up your mind. You can do it. I know you can. So with that being said, I want to thank my guest today, Dr. Steve Loam. I mean, hey, Steve, it's been awesome yeah. having you on the show. Thanks just so much talking about everything. So Dr. Steve Loam, of course, board-certified cardiologist at Rush Copley Medical Center. Check him out, www.rushcopley.com. Also founder and chairman of Plant-Based Nutrition Movement. Check him out there, too, www.pbnm.org. Founder and author of HeartStrong.com and founder and author of LearnTheHeart.com. Thank you, Dr. Loam. Brad Barbera, thanks for coming out today. Thank Director of Innovation at the Good Food Institute. Check him out. What they're doing at the Good Food Institute is amazing. www.gfi.org. I want to give another quick shout out to Chef Rain Truth. Check her out. Founder and owner of The Culture Vegan. www.theculturevegan.com. You've been listening here on Intellectual Radios. You know me, Dr. G. Check me out on my website, www.drmarkgomez.com. I'll see you back in two weeks, guys. Happy Thanksgiving. Peace out.